You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he burnt an altar, built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of this land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, why did this people do to you that you have brought out such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the Lord fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. 
each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, go lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated, and the children can be dismissed to their classes. You guys get all that? My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. There is a lot to get to. So, man, hope you have your Bible open. If not, bring that thing with you. By this point, when you set it down on a table, it should just open up to the book of Exodus. All right, we have about six more weeks together in Exodus, um, and then we'll be moving right along. Um, The most important thing in marriage, or maybe even any relationship, is... Is what? <laughs> right? Oh, I, I hear those. I hear those answers. Um, I bet you would say communication, right? Super important. That's like a big deal. Um, people might say trust. Uh, you might say all kinds of other things, and probably already even in this room, there's like elbows, and you know, like I get it. Uh, what, what I would put before you today, if not the most important, one of the primary uh, things that are important is, is commitment. Um, part of that commitment to one another is alignment around expectations and the way that you communicate and trust for one another. But it really is devotion and commitment to one another that allows kind of the grace and the failings and all those other places uh, to, to fill in the gaps uh, I can't tell you how many dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times that Kim and I have sat in premarital counseling or marriage counseling and, and told someone, and, and then we had to believe it ourselves, that like you literally can navigate anything if you are on the same team. And like, but when you're not, then like the littlest things will, will cause you to drift, right? Like, are you aligned and are you committed to one another? Because if you are, then you can figure this stuff out. And if you're not, you're in real trouble. Um, I am yours and you are mine no matter what for as long as we are. Like that, that sounds really good to me. I am yours and you are mine no matter what for as long as we are. That's like, that's, that's a commitment, which is why any good wedding culminates with what? Words of commitment or we call them Vows. Vows are more than just words that we say to like get through the moment so that we can get to the honeymoon. I hope. I hope I hope vows are more than that. Vows are the words which validate our heart behind everything else. Vows are the foundation which which hold firm when the storm rages and when the car breaks down and when you have to work late nights and when you struggle with a rebellious child or or to even have a child. 
or when you struggle with, with uh, sickness and health and rich and poor, for, so long as you both shall live, what is it that, that uh, continues to, to be the, the foundation for that commitment? It is your commitment to one another. I am yours and you are mine no matter what for as long as we are. And if I was getting married today, I would throw that in our vows, Kim, right? I'm not getting married today. So as we continue uh, this book of Exodus, we've seen God spell out the terms of his, of his covenant and commitment. And really the back half of this book is, is really just that. It's a commitment to one another and it's alignment around expectations and what God is committing to them and what they are committing to him as their God and, and them as uh, his people. And as we've seen, uh, he says, I have delivered you from Egypt. Walk in my ways and see good days. And as we've seen the people respond with vows of commitment several times up to this point, whatever you say, Lord, we will do, we will obey you. That sounds like, like a great foundation for a covenant with one another, God and his people. God tells them to make a place for him to dwell among them, to build a tabernacle, a tent uh, that we looked at last week, that, that he might dwell among them. But while Moses is hanging out with God in the cloud atop the mountain, the people get impatient, and their commitment kind of be, uh, be, begins to be a little rocky. There is a lot going on in this chapter. So much stuff, like 14 sermons I figured out this week that we could preach this week. But today it's just one, and... And Eric, thanks for reading that so beautifully, uh, for real. That's fantastic. So if I could boil all this down, I think this is kind of the main idea that I would boil this chapter down to. The defining characteristic of God's people is their commitment to God. If you are God's people, you, like, there's more to it. But, but in terms of our action response to God's commitment to us, our defining characteristic is our commitment to God no matter what. Um, you've probably heard of like the golden calf. And even if you're not part of the church, like that's in a ton of just cultural references. But this, this is bigger than just a golden calf. It's about being God's people above all no matter what. And when we're looking at the scriptures, there are many genres of literature in this book, like a lot of them. But, but many people kind of uh, subdivide into three categories. They say there's poetry, and some of you are like, oh, I hate reading psalms, like imagery, and I can't even get my head around anything going. And some of you are like, oh, gosh, all the feels. I love the psalms, right? So there's poetry, and then there's discourse. Some of you, like Paul, most of the, the New Testament letters are like one person writing a letter to another person or a local church. And so you just get like, it's, it's a letter. It's, it's someone talking to someone else. It's words. It's things being declared. And then really the majority of the Bible is narrative, which it's, that's, that's story. That's where we've been hanging out in Exodus for a long time. And in narrative, when you're looking at it as, as an observer of God's word, you're following plot lines. And, and narratives build out observation more than declaration. Like you read these things, and it's not like God telling you what to do. It's just you're seeing these dynamics and relationships play out. And you just observe and you say, what was true for them that's still true 
for us, right? And so we're seeing descriptions of, of things uh, in the way that God interacts with his people, not so much prescriptions. That's really important today. It's really important. Otherwise, you're going to go out of here and you're going to slay people with a sword. Don't do that. And also don't make golden calves and worship them. So there are kind of three big movements that I want to look at, and, and I think that's the best way to look at this. Uh, three big movements of this chapter, and I think they all play together really well under that idea of, of commitment. But, but here's what they are, all right? Just real quick, it's rebellion, wrath, and resolution, all right? And you see, they all start with R, only like that middle one's a little tricky. See what I did there? Rebellion from God to glitter and gold, wrath from anger to confrontation, resolution from repentance to intervention. So because there's so much, let's just jump into this first one, rebellion from God to glitter and gold. And, and this is what most of you have probably heard this interaction. I'm going to read it real quickly for us, Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Gosh, already, that's tough to read. All right, and it gets worse. Remember, Moses went up with Joshua. Joshua's like hanging out in the middle of the mountain somewhere. Moses went on up, and he was gone 40 days. And they said, Hey, Aaron, he's got you. He's my older brother, Moses' older brother. And he's like leading the priestly family. And so, like, hey, if you have issues, Remember, there's like 700,000 people-ish hanging out in the desert. If you have issues, just eat, like shoot Aaron an email. He's got you, right? Um, and then we go on. So they say, up, oh, Aaron, like make us gods who shall go before us. And uh, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, uh, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. Most people think that he probably built like a wooden structure and then kind of like put the gold around that. Um, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now look, if you've been tracking with us, this is, that's devastating. When Aaron saw this, he, he said, oh, I've got a great idea. I'll build an altar. Uh, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And so there's these golden calves, and there's the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Real quick little thing here, the word play could mean like Play, like they're setting up cornhole and stuff, and they're having a party. It could mean like some weird sexual pagan stuff. Like it would be like a, a they rose up to play, right? That's kind of the, the word. And so whatever the case is, uh, they're eating, they, they're literally having a party, right? We've got, we've got our redeemer, our rescuer, this golden calf that we literally just made. Now we're safe. So, Check out this atrocity. And look, I don't know if I said this. We we're just looking at the Bible today. Like, you're not getting anything spectacular from me. So we're just working through this, this chapter. Be mine and, and I'm yours. 
right? That's what they committed to one another. Moses is gone for like a half an hour. It's actually 40 minutes or 40 days. Anyway, they, they lose their minds, and, and this is what we see. They said that, that Moses was leading them out of the, the captivity in, in Egypt. That, that wasn't really true. God was, and that was between he was their guy, right? Uh, another thing, Aaron, he's the high priest. His job is going to be, and it has been a little bit, to intercede between God and the people. And, and instead of leading the people to worship God, he literally is the go-between to lead them to worship something that he makes with his own hands. That is not good, right? You don't want that guy on your church staff at this point, all right? Not a good thing. This is another thing. So where did they get all the gold? Remember, they've been wandering out in the desert. Here's the thing. When God liberated them from Egypt, he said, hey, go. All right. And finally, when they let him go, he said, go make demands, and they're going to give you stuff, lots of stuff. And some say that's like reparations for the captivity. So they got all this gold because God supplied it to them. God, the one true living God. And now they're literally taking the stuff, the provision that God made, and they're making a, a, a cow that they might worship that. And lastly, they reject God's rescue, claiming that, that these cattle saved them. These are the ones that led us out. It's like, it's kind of devastating. So Moses delays. And here's the thing. I don't think the delay is the issue. But the delay reveals their heart's issue. It was there all along. Our heart's devotion is revealed through our action in light of impatience. That's probably not something that you all struggle with. And you look at these people and you say, gosh, they're so impatient, but not, not me, right? That, that is to say when in the heat of the moment that you freak out uh, on a bad driver or on a slow waiter or on an unsuspecting delivery person or a family member across the table at dinner, there may be more going on than what comes out in the moment. There may be some underlying things that are happening in your heart. One says it this way, people hate a religious vacuum. That is to say that when, when there's nothing there to worship, people hate that. Even in this crazy culture that we live in, when, when, when their gateway to God, that is Moses, is not present, then they create their own portal to worship on their own terms. It's not nearly the case that people aren't religious enough. That's not our problem. It's just the opposite, that people are too religious. So we go about finding meaning and purpose in anything from parenting to career to wealth to winning to power to prestige or sex or image, the way that we look or, or any other thing. The world is by no means averse to religion. In fact, it is devoted to it with a passion. So long as the formula for cooking it up is in human hands. See, we are worshiping creatures from birth to death and all the days in between. The question has always been to what do we give ourselves in worship? What are we primarily devoted to? Or I might say it like this, man, what makes my heart sing? This is really important when we understand the story of God and his people, that we are all worshipers. And, and for, for you, it might not mean that this book, God's word, 
is your holy book. Maybe you subscribe to another author for your own sacred text. And, and for you, maybe it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's the U.S. Constitution. And for you, maybe God and country are one and the same. Like, we're really good at that. And, and we just ascribe national patriotism to the holiness of God. And we just blend the two. Just like Aaron, who's making this golden calf, and he says, yeah, and so we're going to sacrifice to the Lord, and, and here he is, and look at what he's done. It's, it's this mashup, or, or uh, it's, it's this idea of faith and family and freedom. They find their way to entangle the purity of our worship. Or maybe for you, it's like uh, another great book like Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. And you would say, no, like, you build your life around stewardship principles. Great. Fine, well, and good. Like, be good with the gifts that God has given you. But that should not be your God, right? Or for you, uh, maybe it's, it's financial freedom, or it's, it's good housekeeping, or it's car and driver, or it's Rolling Stone, or it's lawn and garden, or popular science, or, or GQ, Right? Whatever it may be, or, or, or for, for you, maybe it's like your favorite YouTuber or Instagram influencer that invites you into undefined open-mindedness that you call freedom. And it comes at the expense of what's true and who the... As we say, it's, it's not that we're duped by the boogeyman or Satan himself. Like if Satan walked around and was like, hey, I've got a proposition for you, and he had this and the pitchfork and his tail was on fire you'd be like I don't know this doesn't seem like the best idea he's like no really like I'm a good guy you can trust me and you're like I don't are you now like some people worship Satan full stop most people worship good things that they make into God things At best, we're, we're mixing the tenets of our favorite false god with the pillars of one true God. And, and that makes it, honestly, even worse. It's not outright rejection. It's just muddying the waters just enough to where it can be easily drawn away. So for them, it's this impatient unknowns. But for you, maybe it's, it's a God who you worship until he confronts the pillars that you've established for life for love, for freedom, or fill in any of the gaps. So how do the people respond to what they see as a vacuum of religious leadership? And maybe the better question is, how do you respond? And here's the reality. There's no vacuum here at all. They were deceived, right? What we get to do is we get to be with God, and we get to remember his promises, and we get to remember his presence, and we get to love him, and we get to love others, and we get to put his law and his love on display in the way that we are committed to him, in the way that we are committed to one another as his covenant 
family. But when we fail to meditate on and when we fail to relish in the promises of God that, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he overcomes the world, that we are God's sons and daughters by grace alone, through faith alone, that he has made us holy so we get to live holy, that we are his people, that Jesus spilled his blood to free you from sin, to give you the forgiveness of sin and eternal life, and on and on and on with all the promises of God. How easily we forget and how easily we turn from God and we replace, we replace him with other gods that give us comfort. Man, as we read this as God's people, the calf makes it a visible expression of foolishness. You're literally like, how could you? You just made the thing. You literally just made it with your hands. And yet you're saying that this, like, it's what we read about in, in Romans that said that we exchange the truth for a lie and we begin to worship created things rather than the creator of all things. We are drawn to do the very same thing. So no, no matter what obstacle you are facing, God has not forsaken you. And, and if it seems, if he seems far off, it's not because he isn't there. If you are his, don't buy the lie that you need to forsake him for something that's glitter gold. Man, when we walk down the stairs at our house, there's this chalkboard, um, and you kind of walk into a, a wall, and you turn left and go to the kitchen or right and go to Main Street. <laughs> um, and, and, and on that, it says, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Now, look, when I'm, like, wayward and sleepy, like, it, that doesn't mean anything, but it's a great reminder. And so my, my question is, man, as we sift our hearts and we sift our minds and we sift our recreation and our hopes and, and our spending and our free time and, and our daydreams, what is it for you that makes your heart sing? In the morning when I rise, Give me blank. And if I have that, I mean, that's all that I need. That's how we begin to reflect on what these things are that are stealing our devotion. Or what would, what would people say, uh, if your devotion is to God alone, what would people confuse as your mistress? That's the question. So, so we see this idea, and there's rebellion, right? And then, and then we shift to the second kind of movement of the, the chapter, and it's from anger to confrontation. We see wrath, and we see it all around. We see that the people of God often find uh, ourselves in situations not in line with God's desire for us. We waffle in our commitment to him. Maybe that's you in the past, and you would look at your life and say, gosh, and that was a, a rough, that was a rough season. Or maybe you look at your own life right now and you say, that's me. And if not, surely there will be a time in your life where your, your commitment feels like it's being tested or it's waning. It's not often that we see God have a conversation with someone about the rebellion of his people. And here we get to see that. 
And so, again, man, we're starting in verse 7, and I'm not reading it. I'm just kind of like overviewing, but this is just crazy stuff, all right? So, so first, the, the first interaction is God to Moses. God tells Moses, man, he says, Moses, your people, right? Like when the, when the dad, like when the, the, the daughter acts like a fool and the dad says, hey, your daughter, that's like, what's going on here? God's like, Moses, your people uh, who you, whom you've led out of Egypt, that's God saying it to Moses. They've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded. They have made for themselves a golden calf to worship as their deliverer. And then God says, uh, they're, they're stiff-necked people. Like, they're super, like, frustrating. They're so proud and stubborn. How about this, Moses? Leave me alone so my wrath may burn against them and I may consume them in order to make a great nation of you. That's what God says. He doesn't say, it's, it's a wrap, I'm killing them all. He says, let me be so that I can destroy them. And Moses is like, sweet, okay, wait, what's that? No, no, no. And, and then we see this interaction with Moses, and it's bold. It's super bold. But Moses implored the Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people? And then he begins to remind God of who he is. And he says, God, look at your past work of redemption to deliver these people. You put, like, like you've, just, you, you've only just freed them by your power and your mighty hand. And then, then the second thing he says, why let your, your good be evil spoken of? One of the things that you told us was when you were delivering us that, that your name might be great in all of Egypt. And so what happens if you deliver these people only to, to kill them all in the desert? What's, what's Egypt going to think? And then he says, uh, but, but turn from your anger. God, would you consider this? Like, I, I'm going to stop you right there. Would you, would you relent and not do that, please? And he says, and, and besides, remember God, like you promised, you promised a seed of Abraham, you promised to make him a great nation, and, and, and you promised a king that would rule forever, a king of peace that would save the world. That can't happen if all your people are dead. Then he walks away. So Moses descends the hill, right? He goes down the mountain, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of, bringing on his people. This is crazy. A couple things. God doesn't change. Like, that's part of who God is. He's unchanging. When we looked at the attributes of God, that was one of the things. He's, he's immutable, right? He's many other things, but he, he doesn't change. Nothing occurs to him. He... he he isn't, he's never taken aback. He's never caught off guard, ever. He is outside of time. So chronology, that is like sequence of events, is something that, that he created only to serve finite beings like, like us. You've got to watch a lot of Avengers movies to figure out that timeline stuff I'm talking about. 
Back to the Future, I've been watching that. There's always this timeline stuff. And if, but God, he doesn't need that. He's not confined by linear time. Remember, he already knew that they had swerved to a cow. He's up at the top of the mountain. Moses, you need to go because your people, they're a disaster. In fact, leave me alone so that I can destroy them. All right? The second thing is we don't have full access to the ways of God. All that we have is what he has chosen to reveal to us. And in a narrative like this, all, all we have is, is the revelation of God revealed in human ways to move his divine plans and purposes. Like, like he doesn't say that he's destroying them. He says, leave me alone that I may. And lastly, like some people spend 100 hours on this text trying to figure out like what what is going on and, and what's the function of prayer and what, like, did God change his mind? And what we see is, is God said, hey, leave me alone so I can do this thing. And Moses said, hey, don't do that thing. And God's like, okay, I'm not going to do that thing. That's, that's what we see. And all right, we can speculate all day long, but, but we shouldn't spend more time uh, on what's not happening, but, but what is happening. We can only speculate. For me, the way I see that this is not divine, right? Nothing I say is divine, this is just me. This is the way I see this playing out. Like, like if two siblings do something, and one, uh, one hits the other one, and, and me, dad, says, oh, gosh, he hit you. That is not cool. Like, I'm not going to give him food for the next year. What do you think about that? Like, does that seem like a fair punishment? And they'd be like, yeah, no, dad, no. Like, like suddenly they were against one another, and then like they turned their heart towards one another. Like no, like no, you can ground him, like take his phone away, but like don't not feed him for a year. Like no, and then and then you see like the kid like dad, no, like no, you're a good dad. Like don't do that to my right. I'm speculating, but it looks like he's prepping Moses' heart by letting Moses remind God of what God already knows is true. By, by, by letting Moses remind God of the truth of who he is so that when Moses sees the full rebellion, he doesn't give up on God's promises and destroy God's people. Lots of questions there, but, but a few things that we can like anchor into. One, God hates when his people aren't committed to him. God hates when you forsake him. golden calves, any other wild endeavors that you find yourself on, where you replace the Lord your God as your only hope in this life. He hates that, so we get to be devoted to him. Another thing that we see is that he cares about what we have to say. He didn't say, Moses, he didn't say, be gone from me, how dare you? Moses is like, uh, might I have a word? My word has three points. One. Two. God hears him out. He, he cares about him. What we get to do is we get to pray hard to a God who listens to us. And we get to be heard by him. What a gift. And sometimes it is through our prayers that he brings about his ultimate divine will. 
And it certainly says something about the burden that Moses has for his fellow man and the mission that we might have for our fellow man. God, don't destroy them. God, please don't destroy them. God, would you save them? I know they're a disaster. I know this world around us is, it just feels terrible. God, would you, would you not destroy them? Would you save them? Would you let them see you for who you are? Would you call their hearts back to you? But we also see in this God's desire to hear from us. That we might pray to him. We might speak to him. And lastly, we see that he cares about what he has already said. He cares about his promises. He cares about what he says. And he's going to see those things through. So, so Moses comes down. And gosh, man, it's so cool. Um, Moses heads down the mountain. He's got the tablets in hand. And if you like uh, literature, then just read through this a couple times. And you'll see some cool tactics. One of them is like setting up a little bit of tension. He's got these tablets. He didn't say he's like he had the tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. He says he has these tablets. Remember the ta- stone tablets carved by the literal hand of God. That's what it says. Like in God font. For real. God's up there. Papyrus. Had to be. What else would it be? It predated papyrus. It's on stone. Like these things. Moses is coming down with the tablets that, that God wrote with his own hands. The law of God, right? The work of God. He picks up Joshua somewhere along the way. Their meeting point. Text me when you get here. All right, Josh, I'm here. Let's go. Going down the mountain. They hear a battle. No, that's not the sound of someone in victory or in defeat. That's a party. A literal dance party. That's what they're having. A dance party. So they come down and, and they walk into camp and they see the golden calf. And you can just see the camera like zooming in on Moses' eye and like <laughs> sees the golden calf. And, and he, he sees the party. And, and look. And Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets and broke them. What tablets? The ones that got him. He took the calf. He burned it. He ground it into powder. Look, like you can imagine, like, again, when a parent comes home, how dare you? Like, and then the kid's like, hey, no, like, dad, I'm mom. I, like, and, and they don't say anything. And he's just doing something, right? And he's like, he, he, he lights the thing on fire, and they're like, hey, Moses, no, it's not. And, he's, and he starts grinding it, right? And they're just like, hey, can we? And he just, and then they see him like, what is it? And he sprinkles it in water, and they're just like, oh, just let him. And then he's like, the, the cups, where are the, give me the cups, little Dixie cups. And, he start, and they're like, what is he doing? And he's pouring it in all of them, and he, he passes it out, and he says, drink it. This is like every 80s TV show that you've ever seen where the kid, he gets caught smoking, and he's 13, and the dad says, okay, that's a lot of parenting references today, I know. And he says, all right, sit down. You're going to smoke the whole pack. No, I, no, it wasn't even sit down, light it up in front of your dad. Your kid's throwing up. Drink it. Wow. And then he goes and he confronts Aaron. And he says, bro, 
tell me what they have done to you because it must have been terrible for, for you to let them do this. That's what he says. And Aaron's like, have I got a, have I got a story for you? He says, let me explain. Um, this is what Aaron says. He says, let not the anger of, the, of my Lord burn against me. You see it over and over again. And this is what he says, dead serious. Hey, Moses, you know who they are. Am I right? <laughs> They're set on evil. Like, dude, you, you, know, you know. And Moses is like, okay. See, like, we're excuse makers. Adam and Eve, she made me do it. He made me do it. The serpent made me do it. We are just the best. Right? We, we have... Uh, our defense team ready at all times to point the blame, to deflect, to divert. It was, it was many things, but, oh, me? No, I was not responsible for this. And it gets better, right? They, to, they told me to make us gods to go before us. And they, they said, like Moses, they didn't know where you were. Like, who knows where Moses is? So, like, we need something to guide us. And this, we thought this golden calf would be the best thing to do it. And then the, the greatest line in the history, it's maybe the best line in the scriptures, verse 24, Aaron says this, and he said it with a straight face. So I said to them, let any who have gold, that's not what he said. Hey, if anybody wants to, he said, give me your gold. He says, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And you know one, Moses, he looks at the camera. And you know what he says? You done messed up, eh, Aaron? You know that's what he said. Moses seems to know at this moment that the literal plans and promises of God are in jeopardy. In a dramatic fashion, you can feel the blood pressure and also the burden for his people rising. Moses is like, dude, God's going to do it. Like, they're going to, he's consuming these people. Like, we're, it's over. You are, you all are a complete disaster. And we see this, the resolution. The last, and yet, it is a sobering reminder of sin's weight and its wage. And Moses, he, he asks a question what se which seems to highlight the point of all of this. He comes to them and he says, here's, okay, here's the deal. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Well, no, he stands in the gate, which I think in some ways is symbolic, right? Like, are you in or are you out? Like, are you committed to this one true God? Or are, you, are you gone to lovers less wild? Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And the sons of Levi, that's Moses and Aaron's family, what would be the, the priesthood, they, they, they come forward. He, he draws the lines, and, and there are unknowns here, but, but here's what happened. Death followed, and the Levites stepped forward, and Moses said, arm yourself, and as those oppose you, slay them. Your own family, those who reject the Lord, Matthew Henry says it 
this way, right? As, as we're looking at what it looks like, it, it indicates that the faithful killed the rebellion to protect the plans of God and the purity of his covenant community. This is what Matthew Henry says. They were exposed to shame by their sin. The course Moses took to roll away this reproach was not by concealing the sin or putting any false color upon it, but by punishing it. The Levites were to slay the ringleaders in this wickedness. Yet none were executed but those who openly stood forth. Those are marked for ruin who persist in sin. Those who in the morning were shouting and dancing before night were dying. Such sudden changes to the make with sinners that are secure and cheerful in their sin. So we look at this, and it seems like God affirmed the slaying of 3,000 people. In, in the Old Testament, and, and how is it the same God that we have in the New Testament? Like, he's so loving, and like, he literally is just love, and like, love no matter what. Isn't that who Jesus is? Like, he's got the, the bokeh effect in the background, and the, and the blue eyes, and the long hair, and the soft gaze about him. Is that is that the offense of 3,000 dead takes us to the offense of Jesus on the cross? How could God allow the killing of those who oppose him? It doesn't seem very inclusive. It's as if God actually draws lines and declares things that are true that we might not agree with. The reality is our offense, when we rightly understand the nature of our sin, the work and the wage of our rebellion, is that the offense is that he saved any at all. And we look at that and say, how can 3,000 die? But what we don't do is the wage for sin is death. Why would he spare any at all? We who live under the new covenant of Christ's blood, we bypass the brutality of sin's wage. And we try to fabricate a golden calf that offers free grace without the brutality of sin's work. Your grace is not free. It's only free for you if you call upon the name of Jesus. It is not free. It is not minimized. God isn't, he never just overlooks sin. That never happens. Every sin, every rebellion, justice. And the justice is when you sin, you die. Well, how can that be? Well, Christ died a brutal death because death is the wage for sin. Because he alone didn't deserve death. Because he didn't sin, but he alone was fully God and fully man, able to both judge and take on judgment. Check this out. This is crazy. In the book of Jude in the New Testament, there's only one chapter, so it's just verse 5. This is what it says. Now, I want to remind you, he's talking about false teachers. I'm done in two minutes-ish. Now, I want to remind you, although... You were once, although you once fully knew it, this is something that you knew, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land 
of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Justice and love. He leads his people. He opposes those that are not his. So we see this at the end of this, the last five verses, starting in verse 30. We see Moses step up because of his great burden. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. If you're in Christ, you have to be screaming at how tightly the exodus paints out our ultimate redemption in Christ. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. What the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. He said, Moses, you, you can't stand in the gap for these people. But now go and lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. See my promise and plans through. We're going to be just fine. And then God sends a plague on them. See, Moses lays a foundation for a substitute for sin, for one taking on the sins of many. And, and he gets a lot wrong, but here we see he leans in and he puts a type character in front of us, one that God rejects. What, what we know that they didn't know was that Moses didn't have anything to offer since he himself was a sinner in need of a Savior. But what's true then and also true today is, is you sin, you die. And that's either already happened for us in this room, that Christ has already died for your sin, or it will happen to you when you meet God. The band can come on up. Here's the thing. All of this from the golden calf to the, to the dialogue, to the wrath, to the consuming fire stuff, to Moses' prayer, to them coming down, to, to uh, Aaron's excuses, to the killing of the 3,000, to, to the drawing of the lines, all of these things, it's revealing God's commitment to his people and his plans and his promise of making a people who are his. It's what we get to do. We get to see that as far as we go, that all this is about our commitment to the one true God. And as we respond to seeing, man, we can take communion. If you're in Christ, we get to remember and declare who Jesus is on our behalf. We get to pray. There's a prayer bench over there. There's someone by that red tree that would love to pray with you. This is what we get to put before us as we sing and as we pray. I am yours and you are mine no matter what. For as long as we are. God, would you let us be that today? In Jesus' name. God, thank you for your good gifts and for this tough word.
And we see all kinds of stuff and frustration and, and hearts being swayed. And God, would you let us just see the commitment that you have for us? And would you let it just throw us to the cross? You laid down your life to give us life. How would you, by your Holy Spirit, unite us in your obedience? Would you let us walk with you in joy all the days of our life? In Jesus' name, amen.